The Hamlet Podcast, Episode 101. Hello, and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. I mentioned last time that we're at a kind of turning point in the play. We're about halfway through, we're back after the interval, if there has been one, and we've moved from a world of worried potential into one that now demands action. Hamlet set up the elaborate ruse of the mousetrap because he wanted concrete proof that Claudius was the murderer. In all of the madness, he was wise enough not to act on the proclamations of the ghost alone. He got the response he wanted, and now he's on his way to speak to his mother about it all, and Polonius will eavesdrop. Claudius, meanwhile, has told Rosencrantz and Guildenstern to get ready to leave for England, with Hamlet in tow. And now he is alone. In a rather extraordinary soliloquy, Shakespeare shows us the king trying to pray. But he cannot, and instead he speaks to us. It's a long soliloquy, and we will take two weeks to cover it. He begins. Oh, my offence is rank, it smells to heaven. It hath the primal eldest curse upon it, a brother's murder. Pray can I not, though inclination be as sharp as will. My stronger guilt defeats my strong intent, and, like a man to double business bound, I stand in pause where I shall first begin, and both neglect. What if this cursed hand were thicker than itself with brother's blood? Is there not rain enough in the sweet heavens to wash it white as snow? Where to serves mercy but to confront the visage of offence? And what's in prayer but this twofold farce, to be forestalled ere we come to fall, or pardoned being down? Then I'll look up. My fault is past. But, oh, what form of prayer can serve my turn? Forgive me my foul murder? That cannot be, since I am still possessed of those effects for which I did the murder. My crown, mine own ambition, and my queen. First and foremost, we have the truth. Claudius has admitted that he did indeed commit the murder. Now, I very seldom diverge from the folio and the second quarto for this podcast, but for once, it's worth mentioning a curious anomaly from the first quarto. In that version, Claudius begins the speech with these lines. Oh, that this wet that falls upon my face would wash the crime clear from my conscience. They're not especially poetic and they're hardly missed in the text proper, as it were, but they do give an interesting insight. Perhaps... Early interpreters of the role began with actual tears. It's a nice acting opportunity and quite startling. Claudius has until now been a very cool customer, and to see him go in quick succession from the rage that ended the play to actual tears is a significant change. The soliloquy is powerful, even without these lines, but they are worth mentioning all the same. Claudius either begins or continues with a discussion of his crime. Oh, my offence is rank. It smells to heaven. Rank is is just a terrific word, one that is happily still in use for horrible things, at least in Dublin slang. Claudius thus characterises his sin. It's so terrible and rotten that it stinks to high heaven. Not only that, it hath the primal eldest curse upon it, a brother's murder. This is the big reveal, certainly, categorical proof that he killed Hamlet's father, his brother. He couches it in biblical terms, too. He's akin to Cain, the first ever murderer, who also killed his own brother. 
Claudius knows how terrible it is, and that it bears the primal eldest curse. The curse of Cain has many implications, and I'll put some of the essentials into the show notes, but what's important here is his acknowledgement of the seriousness of having killed his own brother. He's talking to us now because he's realised that he cannot pray. Pray can I not, though inclination be as sharp as will. This is a little opaque. Many notes suggest that he's saying that he cannot pray even though his inclination to pray is as sharp as his will to do so. It's all very well having the inclination and the desire or the will to do something. But it seems a bit redundant. And given what he'll say next, I think a more useful reading might be that his inclination to pray is as sharp as his will to sin. He continues, My stronger guilt defeats my strong intent. The guilt he's feeling over having followed his will is defeating his strong intent, that is, the desire to pray. He's trapped between having carried out his will, since he did want his brother dead, and the inclination to pray, presumably for forgiveness. It's tricky. Of course, he'd like to be forgiven, but he also likes where his will has brought him. And, like a man to double business bound, I stand in pause where I shall first begin and both neglect. He feels a bit trapped, like a man with two jobs to do, to double business bound, and finds himself neglecting both duties because he doesn't know where to start. This doesn't really mean that Claudius can't do two things at once, but rather that he has two businesses that are incompatible. He cannot, in good conscience, ask for forgiveness for the way in which he became king and continue being the king. So he feels in something of a limbo as he ponders this inability to pray. What if this cursed hand were thicker than itself with brother's blood? Is there not rain enough in the sweet heavens to wash it white as snow? Shakespeare jumbles several cliched and even proverbial images here altogether. Blood is thicker than water, washing one's hands of one's guilt, from rather later in the Bible, pure things being as white as snow, and maybe even his own image of the quality of mercy, that falls like the gentle rain from the sweet heavens. If this were a soliloquy for Hamlet, these would all be dancing and creating fantastic images and leaps of the imagination. Here, for poor Claudius, none of the images really sparkles, and it's a rather grubby mishmash of ideas. The thrust of his thinking is along the lines that even if his hand was completely covered, caked in his brother's blood, wouldn't there be enough rain eventually to wash it clean, as white as snow? Some of these images appeared before Hamlet in The Merchant of Venice, and others will resurface later for another pair of guilty Scottish murderers as they try literally to wash their hands. Claudius now gets a little poetic as he asks, Where to serves mercy but to confront the visage of offence? What is the point of mercy if it isn't to meet crimes? If there are no sins or murders, is there any need for mercy? And what's in prayer but this twofold force, to be forestalled ere we come to fall, or pardoned being down? Claudius is getting very philosophical, teasing out the purpose of prayer. Prayer has a twofold force, a double function. We either pray to stop ourselves from committing sins, to be forestalled ere we come to fall, or else we pray for forgiveness if we go that far. We then pray to be pardoned, being down. On this basis, Claudius reckons that maybe he can still pray. He has sinned, he knows, but being down, perhaps he can pray for forgiveness. He determines, then I'll look up. He positions himself as having come to fall, 
and looks back up to heaven to pray. My fault is past. Thinking it through, he acknowledges that he can't pray to forestall the murder since he's already done the deed. His fault is past. But perhaps there's still the possibility of being pardoned. He starts to question this too. But oh, what form of prayer can serve my turn? Forgive me my foul murder? This is complicated. What exactly is the prayer one might say in this circumstance? Please forgive me my foul murder? Claudius rather ruefully acknowledges that he can't quite ask for forgiveness while he still enjoys all the benefits of having poisoned his brother. That cannot be, since I am still possessed of those effects for which I did the murder, my crown, my known ambition, and my queen. He still has the crown, his ambitions have been fulfilled, and he has Gertrude as his queen. The murder brought him everything he wanted, so does he even regret it? He knows he should feel guilty for having sinned, but he's also trapped in a kind of happiness with what the sin has brought him. No wonder he can't pray. As mentioned, we'll save the second half of the soliloquy for the next episode. For now, thank you for listening, and do be sure to check out the website for some supporting notes on the story of that first quarto and the mark of Cain, as well as access to all of the podcast's earlier episodes. You can follow on Twitter or on Instagram with the handle at Hamlet Podcast, and we're on Facebook too, and I'd love to hear from you. I'll speak to you next time.